0: Good morning, everyone. Good Shabbos. Good Shabbos. Good morning. We are, if you are holding or have a red, homash, a red Bible, please turn in your homash to page 100, 1,015, 1,015. This parsha this is read every year right after Tisha B'Av. This is the reading of the Bible that always corresponds with the weekend or the Shabbat after the saddest day of the Jewish calendar, Tisha B'Av, the ninth of Av. It's the Shabbat that kind of acts as an envelope to a week that saw us on the ground mourning, destruction, and the temples, and other calamities, and also saw us rise up for the full moon celebration of love on the 15th of Av, known as Tubav. It might strike you all as perfectly Jewish, in the sense that time in our calendar is structured in such a way that we would rise and fall, fall, and then rise. After the fall and destruction of Jerusalem, or any other Jewish calamity, there is, of course, the power that comes six days later with the full moon to rise again, and keep rising. Even when things have been difficult, things have been broken, to continue to show up over and over again for the sake of love. As if the answer always to destruction and to suffering is love. Love as a powerful antidote. Love as the consistent response to right, Love, love, love. Right? What do you do after? Love. What do you do before? Love. And of course, the holiday of love therefore always takes place within the week where we will read in the parasha, in the biblical portion, about the Shema. Think about that in terms of our liturgy, the that we just read from. The rabbis always have a love prayer before the Shema. Well, in time it happens the same way. There's a love holiday before the reading of the Shema in the temples around the world every year, just as we will read the Shema not this morning, but it is read in this parsha. but when we read the entirety of the parsha, we read a third of it. The Shema in chapter 6 of this parsha, verse 4. So there is a holiday glove that precedes it. So many things are happening in this morning's reading that have to do with comfort. Because not only do we read this parsha right on the Shabbat after Tisha B'Av, but of course this Shabbat is called Shabbat Nachamut. The Shabbat always, after Tisha B'Av, gets its name from the prophetic meaning which is also there, in which the prophet Isaiah, chapter 40, he of course didn't have chapters, but we have chapters, but the, the prophet Isaiah said at the beginning of chapter 40, Nachamu Nachamu Amin, comfort be comforted my people. And so this Shabbat has always been known as the Shabbat be comforted. So there are many things within the Parsha that itself, within the portion within the biblical reading that are themselves comforting. We'll read, where we begin, in our reading this morning, is the reading of the Aser that he wrote, the ten utterances, the moment of revelation at Simon. So let's just take that. Revelation is comforting. It's also destabilizing. It's both comforting and discomforting. It's both something that we long for, but then when it happens, we're not always sure we want. And so part and parcel of being comforted is recognizing the ways that we get in the way of revelation. The ways that we ourselves are the obstacles to revelation. And it happens in a profound way that for me, speaks to me this morning, and I want to just bring you into this. So if you're in again in the Chumash in the Itzchaim on page 1015, we'll begin with verse 1 in chapter 5. And Moses called all of the Israelites. By Shema Yisrael. Right? It's not... Our Shema in chapter 6 is not the first Shema Yisrael. This is... It. Right? You see this? Chapter 5, verse 1, where Moses says, Shema Yisrael. So, what we normally say, Shema... It's not a prayer. It's basically a really good teacher going, "Shema Yonah. like, "Listen, Yonah, listen." Shema Israel is Moses the great orator, the great teacher, saying, "Hey, hey listen up, Israel. Shema Israel." So listen, Israel. obey so Israel. Et et amishpakim. Asher davar I am giving in your ear today. tam shmatem study them and observe them faithfully we have been cut into a covenant there's been a covenant cut with us a deal was cut in a place called Chorev. moses says that covenant wasn't just with them. They signed on for all of us, right? All of you here, Moses speaking to the next generation of Israelites, who were not standing at Sinai, saying, "All of you were there." God spoke to you face to face on the mountain, out of fire. And then verse five, which is where I wanted to come in for a landing here. And I stood there between you and God to give you the word of God, for you were afraid of the fire, and you did not, therefore, ascend the mountain. This verse 5 in our tradition becomes a very important teaching. And many of you who have ever studied the writings of the Hasidic masters, that great group of spiritual revivalists in the 18th, 19th, and now 21st century, they've always focused on this verse. Verse five again, I, anochi. Can everybody say that word? Anohi. One more time, everybody together. Anohi. Anohi. Which means, I, I. It's the great I, that I, who is it referring to in verse five? Anochi omeig, Moses, like I, Moses speaking. I stood between you and, and God, and I, I, Anochi, acted as a buffer between the two of you. Right? You guys were terrified. It was scary. lights, you know. Enough. He said, No, 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 enough. You go talk to God, not me. But for the Hasidic masters here, this Anochi actually becomes not Moses' Anochi. It's not Moses saying I, but every I. The Hasidic masters who are playfully misreading this text, right, they're taking the text a little bit out of context. The text is talking about Moses. Moses says, I stood there between the two of you. I mediated. But the Ma'giv of in the name of the Baal Shem Tov and others said that the Anochi is what stands between us and God. Not just the eye of Moses, but the eye in general. The ego, the self, the inflated self. That here Moses is speaking to each and every one of us. And those of you who were not here last night, many of you are guests here, you might have been looking at these beautiful, you don't even know what they are, a piece of art, what are they? These posters. This is the work of an artist who is in at Rumble called Yael, her name is Yael Kanarak. And she has been regendering the Torah. She's an Israeli artist who lives here in America, in New York, and she's been taking the entire Torah and shifting the genders, not just of God, but of all of gender. And of course, the Torah and all of keepers gender, deeply binary. She's made a Torah where the God is not Yehovah with a Y, which is the masculine, but TeHovah. And she began to feel as she rejected the Torah that when the Torah spoke in the directive, right? And in its gendered language spoke to men, she all of a sudden as a woman was reading the text and in this first, or the second poster here from the right, yeah. when God in the book of Exodus says to those who are making the tabernacle, and you will make, of course, as a woman reading it, it was never the, it wasn't the feminine, the grammatical form. She never felt called by it. And then all of a sudden she regenerated it, and it said, and you will make these patterns or settings of gold, and it was like you was her. And so now Moses here, in the story of the Aserah, he wrote this moment before Revelation says, I stood between you and God, and the Hasidic masters say, the eye here is not Moses' eye alone, it is every eye in every generation, is the very obstacle, the resistance, the thing, the masak hamadil, to use the language of the Magi. The masak hamadil, it's the curtain that stands between us and receiving revelation. So we're going to open this up now because we call this part of our Torah portion the open up. But we open it up for you to take that in and then for you to speak Torah in this moment. What does that mean for you? You can't get it wrong. and want to sit with that. What is the eye that gets in the way of knowing something that you need to know? Maybe I'll start off with an example. i can give you an example. I know for myself that one of the anochis, one of the eyes that stands in the way of me and being able to receive a piece of knowing or revelation that is deeply important to me is the eye that says, oh, that's not me. I could never do that. So my anohi is, I have an image of myself. And that image of myself then impedes, it resists, it kind of, it sees something that I might otherwise be drawn to and say, oh, who, me, that's, I'm not the one who does that. I'm not the one who, you can fill your own blanks, you don't have to get too personal here. And that I, that reified, ossified sense of, oh, I knew I am, I'm an old dog, don't teach me any new tricks. I want to offer that as my open up personally, and then by you, what might be your understanding of, there's an I that stands between you and hearing what you need to hear, doing what you need to do, seeing what you need to see, hearing, go. So, In the back. Suzanne. So can you stand up and see what is Yeah. Unprocessed grief. So the unprocessed grief is the eye that stands, as it were, between you and hearing what you need to hear. The revelation of the moment is, as it were, bought right. by unprocessed grief. Go ahead. It's a voice that hasn't been heard. It's the, just been hidden and uh, imploded and it's saying, you may not proceed until I am heard. Shemar. Anochi omeh. There's a standing eye that stands between us and what we need to know. What is that for you? Yes, can you stand up? Just... Yes, yeah, so for me I think it's fear. It's fear. It's fear. fear that I won't, I won't succeed, that I'll get it wrong, that I won't do it right. So it's the anochi is, I'm afraid. And like the Israelites in the story, that fear is what stands between us, right? So the story becomes deeply psychological. There's a fear, and the enochit stands there between. The enochit is fear. Anyone else? Uh, yeah. So for me, it's fear of Sahara uh, getting in the way of what I hear, and always being afraid of so for body, it's the Yetzirah, which is the evil inclination where it's the kind of unskillful voices in our mind's hearts, you know, our self, that gets in the way, I'd say the one more sentence. That gets in the way of hearing what um, I really know deep down is the truth. So there's a part of you, and you're speaking for a lot of people here, that says, I know what the truth is, is over there, but I don't want to hear it. I don't <laughs> want to hear it. it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear the truth. I don't want to know the truth. You can't handle the truth. I can't handle the truth. Truth is too scary. I'm sure nobody here can resonate with any of this, so I'm just waiting for, for something that where everybody can appreciate. I know that each one is so individual and unique. Yes. So the eye that stands between us and hearing truth is the eye that can't handle disappointing others. Yeah, I feel responsible. I feel responsible. I can't disappoint anybody. Therefore, I don't want to stand at Sinai. Sinai is speaking to me at every moment, calling not and I, the eye, says, if I hear that, I will disappoint someone. Rather than not hear that. I'm going to close it up so that I don't disappoint someone else. All right. Can't I see. I see the disappointment. Better say, I see the disappointment front of me, I don't see the people I will then serve as clearly as I see the people I will serve. So it gets in the way, the fear of disappointing another it gets in the way of really seeing, uh, you know, the other side of the point. Right? The others whom you might serve and it has you the ones, focus on the ones, on ones who you will disappoint. That's also Torah, deep Torah. Anochi Omeid, I stand. Here, I'm going to try one on for you guys. How about the I that can't be wrong? Any managers, CEOs, executives, anybody that has responsibility for a large number of employees, or people who work for you, or people who look up to you, because you are the one who knows? Is there an I in the house? Is there an I in the house? It says, I am seen as the one who knows, and so therefore I can't show that I don't know. And so I stand before and between not knowing and knowing. There's a show of hands, if there, anybody ever experienced that in their life, or recently, just one, two, maybe some people, okay. So there the anochi Omei is, I can't be wrong. The one, I am the one who can't be wrong, and so someone who can't be wrong can't receive revelation. Okay? Any more, any more Anohis in the house. Any more eyes that stand between us and receiving the Yes. If I find fault with a friend, I'm a bad person. So there's one who says, if I find fault with a friend, then you're a bad person. And that stands between you, that I that says sometimes it's really important to be able to see someone else's faults for what they are. So you can't allow yourself to really accurately judge someone that might actually benefit them because I'll be a bad person. Which doesn't usually help because you still judge them and then you can't tell them. <laughs> Anybody else? Yes? I situation like that. I, I know we cannot be wrong because for the safety of yes. So the safety, so, so someone's safety. Yeah. So you know like my friends could Beautiful. So here's the thing. There's another anokhi that we're about to read. It's the first word of the Ten Commandments, the Ten says. When God uses that anokhi, it's different, right? It's I am the Lord your God who took you out of Egypt. And so these two anokhis, which is really, I think, at the heart of this Torah, these two I ams are often, not always, but often at odds. And by that I don't mean some fundamentalist or some radical I-know-what-the-voice-of-God-means-at-any-moment because we know what that usually leads to. But the I-am, we're... we're... our own commitment to being right, our own commitment to our own absolute power, sovereignty, knowing, our own position, itself leaves little room for the anochi of what we call the divine anochi. The anochi that's a little bit more open it's more. that's bigger than each and every one of us individually, the I am that reifies itself, and has a hard time making room for a different I am, and I am the one who took you from Egypt. So for this morning's open up, I want to invite forward for the first Aliyah, as we prepare to receive the first of the he wrote a blessing to be able to not only Work with the I am, but clearly in this room, there's a need also to identify what is the I, the place in the self, or the place in our communities and in our nation, potentially, where the ego is so prominent and so lacking porousness that it blocks our ability to hear, to see, to know Torah, to know revelation. There is a warning from the rabbis, from the teachers of our tradition, that to the extent that the individual self is so cemented and so, it's so worshiped. We live in a generation where every eye is before everything. I like to say that there's iPhone, iPad, iWatch, iTunes, I go idols. That there's a reification of the I. We live in a country that, to some extent, right, we struggle with what it is to hear a voice that's stronger than the voice of the I, to hear a stronger voice, right, to not and to balance those two between. The collective voice that loses the individual voices, and the the voices that care less about the collective voice. As long as we're comfortable, as long as Amazon delivers to our doorstep, we'll be okay. Isn't it wild to think of Amazon as a jungle? (laughs) An Amazon nation. The rules of the jungle, every man, every woman, everything, right for itself, survival at all costs. The power of the Anochi in this moment is to say that there is a way that when I quiet the I, I might hear a bigger I. An I that each one uses that says, I am. So for the first, Aliyah, if that speaks to you and you'd like to stand with Torah for this morning, we invite you to come forward to receive that blessing and to hear those words, the Anochi, the I that stands between and blocks. Please come forward for that rachah if that's peace with you.